0: Hey everyone, this is Chad. Thanks for stopping by to listen to our newest sermon. It will play in just a minute. But before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of something really cool. At Creekside, we partner with a great organization called Embrace Oregon to help support and bless foster kids and families in our area. During the Christmas season, we place special emphasis on creating welcome boxes for kids. You can learn about those at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash boxes, But let me just say they're an incredible way to bring joy to a foster kid. We know that not all of you or even most of you who listen to this podcast are in our area. So we want to invite you to contribute to this project by donating. You can go to org slash give. And if you select Embrace Oregon under the heading 4, then all of that money will go directly to creating welcome boxes. We would absolutely love to have you partner with us in this. Again, thanks for listening. I hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. This is what happens every July. I am... Go June, going into July, I plan my sermons for the entire year. <clears throat> uh, I don't, like, write every sermon. That would be a miracle. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. But I I plan uh, the sermon series, and, and we have kind of a rough outline, and I pick the passages of Scripture that I'll teach on for the year, and, and, and we try to get that out to you in the annual booklet so that you kind of know what's coming, and uh, you can follow along and even... If you so choose, be reading ahead, as if you will, uh, and it always goes like this. It's like I have a couple of big ideas that I want to get to, and I'm motoring right along. We need to cover this in, in August and September. We begin kind of a new series in September, and October into Thanksgiving, it'll probably flip, and I have some ideas there about what we can connect to, and then I look at December, And I think, what am I going to say during December? And it, it it is the most difficult time of year to preach for me every single year because you and all your friends and all their friends and all their friends know the Christmas story. Like everybody on the planet knows the Christmas story. And most people, especially here in our country, at least have an idea about the significance of the Christmas story. And so I'm like what am I going to add to this? You know, what, what's what's actually going to uh, be beneficial? And, and here's, I think it's, I guess, like a, a small sample size of, uh, of a picture of, of what happens in maybe your life because even if you're just a, a wonderful Jesus-following person, you're going through life, you're following Jesus, you might talk to him every day, you might read the Bible every day, and then December hits and it's like, Oh man, I've heard this story, you know, it feels weird to think about how Jesus died for me because he's being born, you know, and and I have so much to do now that Jesus will catch up in January, you know, like have a good birthday party, but in January we'll get back to it. And uh, weird thing is that nationally, uh, the American church shrinks during the month of December. We think, because this is generations gone by, that during Christmas more people will come into the church, but the average attendance nationally of church goes down in the month of December. We are trending that way right now, in fact, and uh, and I think it's because we've heard the Christmas story, the pastor's going to preach on the Christmas story, I have a whole bunch of other things to do, and... We'll get back together, me and Jesus, and hang out when January rolls around and family goes away and I don't have a million things to do. And I, I do think it's like a light, and that's kind of the, the driving metaphor of the series, but you can see this light, it's it's fairly bright light. Uh, but if we, if we were to turn on every light in here and we were to add a couple spotlights on me and, and put this up here, then it would be harder to see, right? And I believe that Christmas is kind of like that when it comes to Jesus. We believe what Hannah read earlier, that Jesus is uh, the light of the world. But then all the other lights, metaphorically, uh, of Christmas and actually at Christmas, they all come on. And all of a sudden, Jesus doesn't shine so bright, if we like Jesus at all. And I think that, that and I like all the traditions, but I think that what's happened in, in the Christmas season is that we have put so many traditions into place and we feel a need to do so many things that we forget about, we neglect the real light of Christmas. Jesus, Jesus. And here's, kind of putting this all together, what I think is the good news. I think that I'm going to preach a Christmas series that is different And for me, it's exciting because uh, I don't think I've ever done it before, so there's good news, and I've been at this quite a while now, and I think that if you will pay attention to the things that we see in this passage, in these passages, that Jesus will shine brighter than everything else going on. That's kind of the goal for the rest of the month, is, is just to allow Jesus to shine so brightly through these passages that we'll look at that he becomes the one that illuminates your Christmas once again. Now, I just want to say that if you've been around, I think this is great timing because we've come out of two sermon series that uh, that maybe have made you feel bad. Uh, we, we talked about family and, and you, if you have a difficult family, you, you left that going well, my family's still messed up. And I promised that in the first sermon, if you remember, that your family would not be fixed by my preaching. But but you're like, my family's still messed up, and and I'm working hard, but it, I don't see the fruit of that. And then we talked about government, and you just might be frustrated there, and it seems like the election is still going on, and it's tiring, and you're trying hard, but everybody's making you mad. And now, what's so cool, I think, just in, in God's timing, is that now we're just going to turn our attention to Jesus. And even if you don't feel like the the lights of Christmas have come on, you actually feel like, man, this is kind of a dark time of year for me. This this feels dark and gloomy, and and a lot of people get more depressed during the holidays. Even if that's true for you, then I think this series is just going to be great because we're just going to look at the light that is Jesus. In fact, we're going to look at that metaphor of Jesus being the light, and we're going to focus on these passages uh, that a guy named John wrote for us in in the book of John, a gospel that he wrote, and then in the book of Revelation on Christmas, uh, he also wrote that, and and he uses this metaphor of light, and we read it earlier to you, I am the light of the world, declares Jesus, but, but we don't often associate much meaning with that. So yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. That seems good, right? Uh, Darkness is not as good as light. I've been scared of the dark when I was a kid, and then light came. But what we're going to see is the way that John connects Jesus to light is life-changing if you'll allow it to be. I mean, I really believe it's life-changing, and I think over the next four weeks, as we do a Christmas sermon series, that that this can be life-changing, because John will show us that when Jesus came into the world, the light came into the world, and that is a big deal on on some very profound, important levels. We're going to begin the first two weeks in John 1, 1 through 13, and we'll look at most of those verses today, John 1, 1 through 5, and and what you need to know, this is just so important, it's just so fascinating to me, it's something I hadn't thought of before, but for John, he writes like this kind of poetic, beautiful opening to his book, and he doesn't tell the Christmas story per se, but he lays out the importance of the Christmas story. And what's so fascinating, what I never thought about before I I was studying for this sermon series, is that the book, the entire book of John, which tells the story of Jesus and all that Jesus had done and, and how Jesus died for us and all the things that Jesus does miraculously and all of that stuff, John wants you to read it in light of what he says in these first 13 verses, specifically the first five verses. And what I've done my whole life, and I've read the Book of John a lot, is is I've I've kind of read the the first chapter of John, and and then I read the rest, and I don't make the connection. But what John says about the importance of Christmas, when Jesus became a man, and the very beginning of this book drives everything else for the reader of that book. And you'll see what I mean as as we kind of uh, jump in this into this. But let's look at John one one. In the beginning was the Word. In Genesis 1-1, at the very beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And anybody that's read Genesis 1-1, when they say in the beginning, the expectation is that that's going to be followed by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes from there. But John doesn't say that. He says this other type of weird thing. He says, in the beginning was the word. The beginning was the word. Now, I'm, I don't know if this is going to go on too long, what I'm about to do here. But uh, bear with me because I think it's so valuable and so interesting. You might not be interested, but hopefully you'll see the value anyway. And, and that's that this word that translates word is actually the Greek word logos. And it can mean word, like you say a word. But it had profound theological and philosophical significance at the time of John's writing. In fact, I I would argue and say that, that there is no word that... English translators could translate this word into that would get to the heart of what John is saying, the heart of what John means when he, when he puts logos into the sentence. It's bigger than, than you can probably uh, imagine. Many ancients believed, for one, that the logos was the omnipresent wisdom by which all things were steered. Kind of get that in your heads, okay? And so here's one meaning of logos for ancient people, that it was the omnipresent wisdom by which all things were steered. Like life just kind of moved and flowed because of this, this overarching wisdom. Others saw it as a means to know God, Others saw it as uh, the common law of nature, almost like we think of common sense, but they would think of logos, kind of what people should know or usually know, that it's just kind of the underlining current of wisdom. Some saw it, and just notice this, this is so big and, and so important. Some saw this logos as the God of imperfect people, and they had another God, for the God of the wise people, the smart people, the well put together people, maybe even the wealthy people. And so they saw this dualism of God. Not something we believe now, but, uh, or that we should have ever believed. But, but they saw like a God for the imperfect and a God for the pretty perfect. Now, so there's kind of the Greek Roman view of this word. But the Jewish people also connected this word to some very important things. Uh, they connected this word to the Hebrew word, Debar, which was the word of the Lord in the Old Testament. And this word is used throughout the Old Testament for God's creative power. It was like the word embodied the divine will of God. God. One author said, it signifies both the outward form by which the inward thought is expressed. The idea is that God would think something, he would speak something, and then that something would happen. Like when God created, uh, the, the poetic literature of the Old Testament says, when God created, he spoke the world into creation. And so this word debar is connected to like what God does, his creative power. In the Apocrypha, which if you ever pick up a Catholic Bible, sits in between the Old and New Testament, it is described as being of light, proceeding essentially from God, a true image of God, co-occupant of the divine throne, a real and independent principle revealing God in the world and mediating between it and him. The word biblical commentary says the employment of the logos concept in the prologue to the fourth gospel is the extreme example, the supreme example, excuse me, within Christian history of communication of the gospel in terms understood and appreciated by the nation. Now you go, what is he talking about up there? I think that's what you're probably thinking, and that's okay. Because if you're thinking, what is he talking about? Then, then maybe you're just grasping how rich and deep and profound this word, word truly is. When John comes to it and uses it in his gospel. He takes this word that whether that you're a God-fearing person... Or, or whether you believe in many gods, or whether you don't believe in God at all, you, you have some meaning and some purpose in this word. And he says, now, I want to apply it to somebody who came to earth. When John uses the word logos, he's saying, you people, you think of a lot of great things. Wisdom, and truth, and power, and God's creation. I want you to know that it's embodied in a single person that John will tell us in just a few verses is the person of Jesus. Now, what else is fascinating about that is that this word was doesn't mean like in the past tense as we take it to mean in English. The phrase actually is really juxtaposed with the idea of came into being. And so John writes at the very beginning of his gospel, here's what I want you to know, the word, this kind of crazy, deep, profound, philosophical, theological idea that you have, it didn't come into being when you saw it or when you thought of it or when your philosophers came up with it. It's always been forevermore. What John is going to say to us in this passage I just want to have this in front of us: is that Christmas isn't just the story of a birth; it's the story of when God came to Earth, and that's what He makes clear in just this single word "logos." But you might say, "Wait, is God replacing? Or is John replacing God?" And here's what He says: Continue on, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God; He was with God in the beginning. He personifies this deep philosophical theological term. He says, this thing that you, whether Greek or Roman or, or whether Hebrew or whatever, you, this thing that you all want and you all respect, it's all found in a person. And I want to give you the spoiler alert just right now. If you close your ears if you don't want to know what happens, but the, the person is Jesus. It's Jesus. And he says this incredible thing about the word who is Jesus. He says that the word was with God and the word was God. Let me just point out something that I, I so fascinating to me. I'm not sure, and I've thought about this quite a bit at this point, that there's any other time when you can say something is with and Was. Just those two words in and of themselves are incredible. Like, I can't be with somebody and be that person. That's impossible, right? Like, that doesn't make logical sense. But Jesus says about this word, he was with God and he was God. He was with and he was all in one. It's time. I... I don't want to try to explain all of what that means and try to go into other theological doctrines this morning. I just want you to think about the mystery of that statement. Because what John is trying to do for us at the beginning of this passage is say when Jesus came, something so profound and miraculous and even beyond our our kind of understanding we can't grasp the full measure of it something so big happened. what john is saying is is this is a bigger story uh, than a few poor people a couple that was poor traveled to bethlehem there was no room for them in an inn and and so they had the baby in a barn it goes so far beyond that That's a cool story, right? We like that story. We'll read that story next week, actually, here together. We like that story, but it goes so far beyond that. What he's saying is that baby who was born in that barn, who was placed in that manger, was the Word, and that Word was with God, and that Word was God. Now, this is so clear and so important. That people who don't believe that Jesus is God do their best to explain away this verse. The most clear example of people who would try to explain away this verse are the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door and you've ever engaged them in theological discussion and and you've gone past, here's a pamphlet, then you may know that they want to turn your attention to John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And when they open their Bibles, I'll just tell you what's going to happen. It's not going to say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's going to say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. A God. And they will say, see, you should become... It's probably a shorter version than what they'll give you. Uh, See, you should become a Jehovah's Witness too because those other churches are telling you Jesus is God, but the Bible actually says he was just a God. He was, in their view, somewhat of a lesser God. We had God, the Father, and then Jesus was kind of God-ish, if you will. But here's the problem with what Jehovah's Witnesses have done. They've created that translation of their Bible in order to support a point, in order to support an idea that they already had in their heads. Because if you read anybody who's intelligent when it comes to the Greek language, biblical Greek literature then they will all tell you that there's no way there's an A in that sentence. It just doesn't happen. I don't want to get into the details of why Jehovah's Witnesses will try to argue with you, uh, but just tell them to go read a Greek scholar on the issue. And it is clear in the Bible that John is telling us that this word was God. He doesn't say, and this will be kind of their argument, that it was the God. It just says he was God. And what we need to know, what John is saying to us, is that when Jesus came, God came. Christmas isn't just the story of a birth. It's the story of when God came to earth. I want to read you John 8, 57 through 59. And, and there's this situation where Jesus declares that he knew one of the patriarchs. And, and the people are like, how's that possible? And, and, and just listen to the end of this here. You are not 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Jesus says, I've seen Abraham. And they say, Well, well how? Abraham died thousands of years ago. How's that possible? And here's what Jesus says Very truly, I tell you. Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, here's the trick in Greek Jesus doesn't just say, I am. He says, I am, I am. And in the Old Testament, when Moses asked for God's name, do you know what God told him? I am. And so it's very clear here in Greek that Jesus is saying, I'm God. I am, I am. He even used the personal pronoun. Now, many in modern circles that are heretical, that don't believe the truths of scripture, that don't believe that which is in line with what Christianity has been about for thousands of years, they will say, well, that's not really what Jesus meant. But the first people who heard Jesus say, I'm God, They knew exactly what he said, and here's their response. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus himself hid, slipping away from the temple grounds. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm God. And John, at the beginning of his gospel, is saying, look, here's what you need to know about Jesus. When he came to earth, God came to earth. He was with God and he was God. He was connected to God and he was God. He makes this even stronger in verse 3. He says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The creative activity of the logos is the activity of God through him, says the word biblical commentary. Listen to Colossians 1, 15 through 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Look, this is what, I mean, it's just, this is a crazy thing. It's a crazy, crazy deal. But what John is saying is that when you read this story, about a baby being born in Bethlehem and laying, being laid in a manger. And when you look at your nativity sets that you put out, when you think about the story of Christmas, you can't just think about the story of a birth. You have to think that this is about God coming to earth. Now let's freeze. Ready, freeze. God came to earth. Now, even if you never stop to think about what does God mean? What is that? I mean, who is God? What is God? What can God do? What makes God God? Even if you've never pondered any of those questions, you still have an idea of the greatness, of the magnificence, of the incredibleness of God. When we say the term, we mean something so far beyond us that we can't even quite comprehend his perfections and his nature and his works and all of those things. Right? You you get that. And John says, I'm going to tell you a story. But when you read the story, what I want you to know is that the day that he came to earth was the day that God came. This is a big deal. This is more important than your presents or your turkey or your Christmas lights. The very idea of God coming to this planet and, in fact, being born as a baby is stunning. And sometimes we rip right through the Christmas story, right through the Christmas season even, without ever going, wait a minute. God came to earth. That's weird. That's amazing. That's incredible. I will say that this is, in fact, what should separate those who are Christians from those who are not Christians. If you're not a Christian, then you probably, just because of statistics, I can just guess this, about you probably think pretty good things about Jesus. He was a nice guy. He produced social change. He was responsible for a lot of good things. He loved people. He taught other people how to love, all of those things. But you probably don't believe he's God. And if we're Christians, we do, but sometimes we don't act like it. We, we treat Jesus like this kind of superhero in a story that can be respected or worshipped or thought about when we want to, but John is like, I'm going to tell you a story, and it begins with God coming to earth. It begins with God coming to earth. As you go through Christmas, just think that. The story of Christmas isn't just the story of a birth. It is the story of God coming to earth. That's incredible. And then John tells us why. Right at the beginning. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Both of these terms are so theologically rich and important and significant in John that that we would have to spend week after week talking about it to hash them out. Uh, But let's just get kind of the, the overarching idea of life at the beginning. Life here probably refers partly to the fact that you... Breathe, and you have a heartbeat, and you have a brain that works. God is the reason that you live, that you have a life at all. But in the book of John, life usually means something even greater. It usually refers to eternal life or new life, and that is the life that people have in Jesus, a life that is filled with joy and hope and peace and a future in heaven where where that life will never be taken and it will be absolutely perfect. And so John says, look, this word, this logos, this God who will come to earth, here's what you need to know about him. In him is your life the first one and the eternal one, if you give your life to him. You have your breath and you have your hope in this being who came to earth. And John also says that Jesus, the word, is lights. And this is what we're going to hash out over the next several weeks. But here he means it in a very specific and, and very important way. He's referring to uh, the truth of revelation and the acknowledgement of that truth by humans. The truth of revelation is the primary force behind light in this verse. It is wisdom. It's the wisdom. That we all need. It is what moves us out of not knowing what life is all about. And what we should do. And how we should live. And, and and what is good. And all of those things into the knowledge of truth. And when Jesus was born, light came to earth. A guy named Simeon who had been promised that he would see Jesus, before he died, he finally gets to meet Jesus. And in Luke 2.32, he's holding Jesus in his arms and he's making a speech and he declares about Jesus that he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I want you to hear this so clearly, that our world was in darkness before Jesus came and provided truth and light, direction, wisdom, revelation of what God was about and what God wanted for us. Here's how I think it can be illustrated. I actually was trying to figure out an illustration to represent uh, the incarnation, which is the term that is used in theological circles for uh, Jesus, because he is both God and man, and we'll talk about that manhood more next week, but uh, but I was looking for illustrations of this, and and several illustrations uh, kind of popped up that were connected to him being the light, and, and being able to provide us with revelation, and One was of ants, like uh, the insect, not like your mom's sister. Um, And it it, it was the illustration of a kid uh, hitting a branch, and a bunch of ants fell out. And the kid said, I wish I could tell them sorry. And the dad said, you would have to become an Ant to be able to tell them that. Another one was uh, of a dog and and how uh, a guy needed to communicate with, would like to communicate with his dog, but but he couldn't because, you know, you can always communicate so much with his dog, but to really be able to express his love and devotion to a dog, he would need to uh, become a dog. Uh, but the one that connected the most is, is uh, not any less weird, but it connected more, and that is of geese. And I think this one connected because uh, just I grew up in Kaiser and Kaiser is, for whatever reason, like directly on the line where the geese fly north and south. Like if you live in Kaiser, if you grew up in Kaiser, then just millions of geese at a couple of times a year going north or south, depending on if it's getting hotter or colder. And these geese land and stay for long periods of time on the local golf course they're just there and you just they're just right in front of you and you you're about to hit a golf ball and you hit a golf ball pretty fast and the goose is just just walking across and, and you yell and, and it's like i i i it doesn't care that you yell, you know? I mean, it lives on a golf course. What are you going to do to it? It's not at going to get hunted. You're not going to, you're like, goose, you know? Like, can you move? Can you hurry up? I'm trying to play golf. I'm having a good round. And, and they're just there, and they're laying there, and they're laying with their kids, and they're hanging out. And and you just want to be like, this This golf ball's hard. It will kill you. Have you ever seen the size of your neck? They're like this big, you know? I mean, it, you need to go away. They don't have that in them, and the best you can do is run at them and they'll they'll squawk at you. It's not really a quack when it's a goose and and then they'll kind of take five steps and and move on. Uh, I guess what a possum feels like about a road a goose feels like on a golf course if that makes any sense to you and uh, one of the illustrations I read was was so similar to that and it was about a man, and I, I don't know whether a true story or, or an untrue story, but a, about a man who who raised geese, and uh, and his wife wanted him to go to church with him. And and uh, he said, I don't need to go to church. And she said, well, it's important because, you know, we're studying the, the birth of Jesus, and it's about how God became a man. And he said, why the heck would God want to ever become a man? I mean, that's so stupid. And he went on his merry way, not a Christian man. And uh, that night, a bunch of geese... Landed on his property and a storm came in, and the geese couldn't fly out and they were freaking out. And in the midst of this thing, he's trying to help these geese because he has a soft spot for geese. For whatever reason, he raises geese. I don't know why I didn't explain whether he was uh, raising them for food or whatever, but, but he, he, he's like, I'm going to help these geese. I'm going to help these wild geese. And in the midst of it, he thought, as he tried a million ways to, to move them into his barn, he thought, if I could just be a goose. I would be able to communicate with them. And so he opens up the barn door and he tries to, he finally gets them in with the help of his own geese and and somehow they make the connection he gets the geese in the barn. But after it's all over, he just thinks to himself, the very thing that I said about God being stupid was what I needed in this moment and this profound thought hit him. God had to become a man in order to communicate with us. And, And Right here in John, John says, here's what you need to know about Jesus before you read his life story that I'm going to present to you. Here's what you need to know. When he came to earth, God came to earth. And he came in order to give you life. And he came to provide you light, revelation, truth, wisdom. He came to give you direction in your life. And what I find so cool is that he says that the darkness... Cannot overcome that light, and it's actually uh, it's so interesting of a word because uh, many people believe that that word is is a double entendre because it can have two meanings in Greek, and John seems to use both of those meanings. The word that in our verse says "not overcome it." The word can mean overcome, but can also mean understood. And and Jesus, when he came to earth, I mean, we know how dark the world can be. As I said earlier, we just studied family and we studied government. and we studied what the Bible says about that, and all you have to do is look at your family or look at government, and you go, oh yeah, the world can be a dark place. But even more, you can just look inside of yourself and all of the evil thoughts and all of the bad that you have ever done, and you know, like, I'm, I can be such a, a dark person. And Jesus comes, and John says, the darkness doesn't always understand the light, nor can the darkness overcome it. Now, here's what you need to remember. John writes this book after Jesus rises from the dead. And John knows how this story is going to end. He knows that the darkness of the world, the evil that exists in the world, all of the bad, it's going to try to fight against that which is Jesus. The darkness is going to try to to cover up, to overshadow, to put out the light of of the word, the light of God, come to earth in the person of Jesus. He knows that. He knows that the darkness will fight so hard to overcome that light that it will literally kill Jesus. But he also knows that Jesus is going to get out of a grave. And so he says, when you read the story of Christmas, know that it is the story of God coming to earth and know this, in him was life and light and there is no way that the darkness is going to win because I've seen the end of the story. I've seen the end. And here's the reality. In Jesus, you can have eternal life. And in that life, you will find the source of light. You will find real truth, you will find true wisdom. This isn't just a source of intellectual truth. It's the source of deep spiritual truth. It is the truth that says, even if you don't feel it, you have value and worth. It's the truth that declares somebody loves you, even if you don't feel it. It's the truth that says you can live a better life. You don't have to be driven by your addictions or your past anymore. It's the truth that says all of those regrets that you have, there is forgiveness for them, even if you don't feel like it. It's the truth that declares there is something more. It's the truth that declares there is hope for what happens after this life. And what John knows and what I know and what I think you know is that the darkness always tries to overshadow that truth. You don't matter. You're not important. Nobody can possibly love you. There is no forgiveness for that sin because it's too bad and you hurt too many people. There's no hope for the future. This is all there is to life. You will never get any better. You will always be the person that you have been. Afterlife, what a joke. Why don't you study science? And John says that when Jesus came, the light shone bright. And he will show us in his word if we accept Jesus as our Savior, then we have life that can never be taken from us. And in that life is light that dec- declares truth to us. And it cannot be overcome by the darkness of the world. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's really why Christmas is so amazing. It's the reason that we can move past the hustle and the bustle, and uh, it's the reason that we can move past all the traditions and, and once again remember the true light of Christmas. It's because Christmas is truly illuminated when we remember that it isn't just the story of a birth, it's the story of God coming to earth. And in that coming, he provided us life and light. So here's what I want from you things if you're not a christian man i want you to think about becoming one and we have little response cards that are in those blue bins and uh if after service you're like i'm not a christian and i don't know what that means and i don't know what that's like man i would love you just you can pick it up during the next song just write on there i'd like to know more there's even a box about becoming a christian because man you're living in darkness if you don't know jesus and the Christmas story is just a reminder that you can move out of that darkness and have an eternal life to look forward to. And man, I would just, I would just encourage you to, to just drop one of those in the offering basket and I'll just call you and say, hey, let's have a conversation. And I promise this, if you, if you know me, then you know this is true about me. I'm not gonna try to shove my religion down your throat, but I would love to have a conversation with you about how you can have life and light. But if you're a Christian, this is what I, this is what I want from you. I want you to remember that the story of Christmas isn't just the story of a birth, but it's the story of God coming to earth, and and this is what I want. Whenever you think about the Christmas story this year, maybe you walk by a nativity, maybe you say it with your family, maybe you're singing carols and, and it's talking about the birth of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question. In what areas of my life am I listening to the darkness And not being illuminated by the light. Are there areas where I'm allowing for untruth to override truth? Are there areas where I go, well, I'm not really forgiven for that? Are there areas where I'm like, I'm really not loved? Are there areas where it's like, well, I'll just commit that sin and God won't care? Are there areas where it's like, I don't have any hope or any joy? or I'm just depressed because of the Christmas season. Are those areas in existence? And if they are, say, Jesus... Jesus shine brighter in this area because I know that you came in order that I might have life and light. Will you pray with me, Lord? Man, you came so that we could have life and light, and, and so often we act like we don't. And, and, Lord, this breaks my heart, but I know so many people. have such good friends, people that I love and care about that are rejecting your life and light, and I can see so clearly, Lord how they live in darkness. And Lord, I just pray that that you would overshadow that darkness in their life. And for those of us who are Christians, Lord, so often we focus on the dark. And and I pray we wouldn't, Lord. I pray, God, that you would shine brighter, that that you and your light, God, would, would illuminate every part of our lives uh, teaching us truth, uh, helping us to remember truth, God. Just reminding us of all that you have said uh, about us and to us in your word. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for coming. What an incredible deal that you would come to earth. I just It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but God, that you would come to earth is, is mind-blowing. And I pray that we would remember that, God, Christmas is about that. I pray these things in your name. Amen.